I'm joined now on the line by Mr. Terry Zalani. He's Executive Chairman of the Institute of Election Management uh, Services in Africa. Mr. Zalani, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us this evening. We really appreciate your time. Good evening to you and to your listeners, and thank you very much for having me. Your thoughts, your sense of the level of success for this last campaign? Um, It was uh, important and significant. Uh, you know, to get uh, 300,000 people uh, to register. Um, it's an important step and uh, in a positive direction. Uh, however, when we look at it within the context of uh, the total number of people who are eligible to participate in elections, uh, it still really falls short uh, from at least having the majority of our people participating in the electoral processes. You may be aware that uh, 42 million people are eligible to participate in the elections, Mm -hmm. and uh, we currently have only just over 27 uh, million people uh, registered. Why is that the case, Mr. Zalani? Why is it that we have such a big number of people who are eligible to vote in this country, and yet... Or a fraction of that big number has decided to be part of the process. Why is that? There are a myriad of reasons. The first one is that the registration in South Africa is not compulsory, unlike in countries such as Australia. Uh, but secondly, uh, that uh, I think it depends largely on uh, the kind of messaging that is coming from the political parties and, and um, the commission and the kind of the resources that are spent on motivating and inspiring people to participate in the process. But I think uh, you've got also a significant group of people in South Africa who are just disaffected about what is going on in the country. And um, the conduct and behavior of political leaders and public representatives um, has really put them in a position where they feel uh, that the democratic project is not able to deliver the kind of things that they're supposed to deliver. Surely, you know, the, so, surely the message mm-hmm. in that context should be that's why you ought to register to vote so that you can change that reality. Uh, vote in the kinds of leaders that would satisfy you in those terms. Um, is it because somehow as a collective those of us in the media the iec itself the political parties are not sending that message out strongly enough uh, I'm, I'm really interested for you to dig down deeper into this this reasoning that says because political parties leaders behave very very uh, infantilely in many many cases uh, therefore we can't uh, be be charged with the responsibility of voting uh, some may call that apathy i don't know if it's apathy i think that it is a form of voting but maybe one that doesn't really register the kind of political opinion that we need to change that particular situation uh, let me just uh, give uh, an example we've been in uh, democracy since 1994 which is 30 years this uh, year now if you go to some of the places in South Africa and then you look at the conditions within which people live, mm-hmm. uh, condition of abject poverty, condition of uh, hopelessness, uh, because uh, services are basically not being rendered to those communities. And then 
every five years, and in fact more than five years, because we've had local government elections and national and provincial elections uh, taking place. Uh, but you've been saying to the same people, same thing, every time they elect uh, leaders and the elections, you say to them, uh, you must go out and vote. Your condition is going to change. You've got to elect the kind of leaders who are going to change your situation. And they continue to vote uh, with the hope that uh, their condition is going to change. And nothing changes. And you've been saying this thing for 30 years uh, to people. And then you keep telling them that if you elect, if you vote, you're going to elect people who are going to look after your interests. And there's the reason. It starts something very hollow uh, and mm. uh, sounds like a cliché. Um, that's something to you that the conduct and behavior of public representatives uh, also is contributing to others because you can't be telling a person this year that your condition is going to change if you vote and they vote and then come again five years, you say your condition is going to change if you vote and they vote and nothing changes. So what needs to happen, Mr. Talan? Public representatives have got to conduct themselves differently. They've got to make sure that they've got to understand that they are elected to serve a particular purpose, that they've been elected because people trust that their condition is going to change. They've got to make sure that that ordinary people realize uh, the dividend of democracy. Because if you don't uh, have a democratic... Uh, the, the, if democracy does not deliver anything to you, it, it begins to lose value. Look what is happening in uh, West Africa, where you've got uh, uh, coups, and then the majority of people in those countries are celebrating when there's a coup. It means there is something fundamentally wrong about democracy, and democracy is not able to deliver certain things, and people begin to believe that dictators yeah. Mm. Uh, will actually be able to deliver services to them. And uh, that's why the noise that is beginning to emerge from those countries uh, demonstrate that uh, indeed people may be correct uh, that uh, you know the leaders who, are now, who have now taken over through coups are beginning to deliver certain things that are beginning to change the society. So... Those who get elected, therefore, have got to understand the importance of being in the office that they occupy, that they are essential um, agents of democracy, and that it is through them that people will have confidence in the democratic project. But surely the other part of that narrative is that in order for us to see the changes we want to see within the democratic space unless of course we've decided that democracy is irrelevant but the changes we want to see in that democratic space and dispensation require us to vote in other words make sure that political representatives understand that this is not their permanent right uh, or positions of power and authority are not their permanent right that they can be removed at any time as a result of the vote. Uh, surely that message needs to be part of the education that's going to do away with what you've just described now, which is absolutely valid. But surely if democracy is still valid in one way or the other, that should be the understanding that the electorate should have? 
Yes, but it becomes also, uh, as I've indicated to you, that those of us who believe in democracy and the importance, we've got to keep on saying that. Uh, but I'm trying to show you the Josh, no, I, uh, I understand. symbiotic, I, as, as symbiotic relationship between, uh, you know, what should actually be happening sure. between those who get elected and the delivery of services to the people who no i i understand wholly what i'm what i'm trying to understand is is there anything perhaps that can be done because i i really think that that the electorate does have the power to remove leadership both in governance and in opposition through the democratic process but maybe but maybe the the electorate uh, hasn't understood that power completely. Uh, uh, help me, help me with that, Mr. Salan. No, 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 I don't think the electorate has not understood that yes. power because if you look at what has been happening in South Africa, yeah, um, since 1994, there are changes that have actually happened all over. I mean, look at the metros uh, in the country uh, in Gauteng, Johannesburg, in Gorlen. Uh, in Swani, you no longer have one dominant political party. It means the electorate is very active. They participate in, they are electing uh, people that they believe will be able to represent their interests. And um, there are times when, like this happened now, when you no longer have one dominant political party because the interests within the society are diverse. And uh, what you have as coalition is basically a reflection of that. You know, so we can't keep on saying to people that they don't participate and they don't like uh, and they don't know the value of participating in democracy. We are seeing it. Uh, but but, but is, is it really? I mean, uh, uh, let me push back a little bit there, Mr. Zelani, around the issue of, de- of coalitions. Uh, mm. I've had conversations here on this platform where people have said to me that the coalitions that we have are not a reflection of the desires of the people because most of the coalition uh, arrangements are arrangements that happen post-election where these arrangements are arrived at through the horse trading that happens in uh, chambers, in parliament, or maybe not in parliament, but in the council chambers. Uh, And they happen at the expediency of political negotiation, not because of the will of the people. Is that perhaps not part of the reason why people feel betrayed by the electoral process and perhaps the reason why they hold back their vote? Because I I, I, I suppose I am wanting to hear more of your thoughts around what you call changes as a result of electoral behavior. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that it's not because of electoral behavior. It's because of political party horse trading in chambers once uh, people have been elected. No, no, no. Um, remember that firstly the coalition is a recent phenomenon in South Africa. I mean, we have 30 years of one dominant political party whether you talk about Western Cape or you talk about all other places in South Africa, you've had one dominant political party. So this new thing, we can't now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, try to attribute the conduct and 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 uh, the uh, rather the uh, the fact that uh, uh, the electorate do not trust what is happening and attribute it to. Uh, this recent phenomenon. But it is also, I think, uh, uh, not correct uh, to be saying that uh, people uh, are dismayed by what is 
happening and then what is happening is not a true reflection of uh, the electorate. What is happening in terms of the election and and, and, and an appointment of office bearers is completely different from uh, the what actually happens in terms of voting. Yeah. Because uh, these are two different processes. When people vote, and that's what I say to you, this is a true reflection of what people want. They have decided that there is not going to be one single political party that has got power. That is the electorate. It is their will. How those who then get elected, they begin to do horse trading and trying to deal with issues differently. Mm. It is a completely different matter altogether. But we cannot try to trivialize uh, the fact that when people voted and decided to vote in a manner uh, where there is no one dominant political party and say that it is a mistake, it is not a mistake. Uh, people know what they are doing. And then therefore, and then I keep saying this thing to people and saying, you know, the fact that you've got the kind of the results you have, uh, you cannot correct it by having a by-election, for instance, because a by-election can also still result in the same situation where there is no one dominant political party. So you just have to find ways of dealing with this new phenomenon uh, of having to live in a proportional representation uh, system because proportional representation system leads to a situation where uh, you don't have one dominant political party unlike what we call first past the post system uh, so yeah. we've got to be able to uh, understand the majority of south africans are beginning to say we are not going to vote for one party we are a diverse people uh, we've got different interests, and then we're going to vote according to the way we believe uh, leaders should be elected. And then if, if that leads to a situation where there is no one dominant political party, those that we have elected have got to try to understand this new phenomenon right. and say, how are you going to serve our interests right. within this new phenomenon? Right. Tony Sitchell is in Eldos. Hi, Brad Tony. Hi, uh, bro. Oops. And uh, Mr. Zelani, uh, I guess uh, it would not be too much of an inconvenience uh, and or of an expense to install cameras in the areas where the counting and collation of votes takes place. Uh, simply uh, to allay the allegations, the recent allegations of Manga Manga with the counting process as alluded to by Mr. Zuma, Ace Mahashula and others. You know, the skeptic in me, unfortunately, believes them. Uh, because I believe anything is possible in this fuckocracy of ours, sir. Thanks very much, Bratoni. The levels of credibility of the IEC to manage a, uh, <laughs> a, an election under the current political conditions, Mr. Zalani, um, is something that's emerging. Interestingly, that it's coming from people who were what's the govern the governors of this or the leaders of this government. It's interesting that it's coming from them, Ace Makashule, president, former president Jacob Zuma. But there are undercurrents of uh, of distrust that the IEC might not be in a position of credibility. How do you respond to that? 
I think the commission has got a responsibility to allay fears and, and, and be able to clarify some of this. Um, during the time when uh, I was still a commissioner, if a political leader would make statements such as this, outrageous as the statements would be, we would call that particular leader and try to get them to clarify their position. And then I think it is the responsibility of the commission to try to get uh, these leaders to, to, to find out um, the basis of the things that they're saying and try to deal with those kind of issues. That's the first step. The second step is that uh, the commission also has got a responsibility to try to allay fears about having to show the transparency that actually happens in the electoral process. Uh, you can't have uh, people who occupy a very prominent uh, position in the society who either appear to be having a misunderstanding of the process or alternatively uh, who uh, try to uh, use the platform they have uh, basically for politicking and then using very serious allegations against the commission. And I think, you know, they've got that duty and responsibility to make sure that people understand that there's nothing untoward happening. Just to respond uh, mm. to what Tony is saying about cameras. <laughs> uh, the uh, importance of uh, having to safeguard the secrecy and sanctity of a vote is critical uh, to the legitimacy of the outcome of the results mm. of an election. Now, if you're having cameras there, then what? How, how certain are we that those cameras are not actually looking at how I am voting? And then I don't even know what the objective and the purpose of a camera would be, uh, because if I vote, uh, I don't want the camera to know how I voted. I don't want that information to be captured. Yep. It must be my secrecy must be safeguarded. You know, so cameras will not mm. actually help at all. You know, so it is the transparency that has got to happen. It is the party agents and election observers uh, who will guarantee uh, that uh, indeed uh, the outcome of the results of election uh, is a true reflection of how people have voted. Yeah, I, I think I think I think the issue of the credibility of the IEC is going to be a big uh, political football going forward uh, uh, as we go closer to the to the elections. I mean, I, I'm I'm particularly bothered by statements that were made by the former general secretary of the ANC, who suggested that he knew that some suggested. I mean, he suggested that he knew of um, shenanigans that have taken place in the past around vote rigging uh, and because he was part of the leadership he's going to make sure in his new uh, political sort of role that it doesn't happen uh, as a former commissioner do you perhaps have any any knowledge anecdotal or not uh, of times when there were shenanigans in the IEC's management of votes no um, of course I, I don't know anything that they're talking about uh, but if you want to ask us to whether there have been irregularities in some of the elections, of course there have been irregularities in uh, some of the elections. And political parties and agents have raised uh, the objections in terms of the legislation. Uh, you may be aware that in terms of national and provincial elections, 
you've got what we call Section 55 objections, which are objections material to the outcome of the results of the election. So before the election results are announced, the Commission would listen and check all the objections that are raised in terms of Section 55 of uh, the Electoral Act and deal with those. Uh, sometimes you'll find that, in fact, in, in fact uh, the objections that are raised are legitimate and you uphold them. And then there are many occasions when the Commission has actually done so. So you can't expect the, all the elections throughout the country to happen without a malfeasance or uh, some irregularity to happen. There is something that will go wrong somewhere in a particular voting station. And that's why it is important uh, to have party agents and election observers to make sure that nothing untoward happens. And if there is something that happens, it is brought to the commission's attention immediately and it is addressed. As we close, Mr. Zelani, when do you think the elections might be? When do you think the announcement uh, or or what what sort of time sort of uh, can we expect the elections to take place in? In terms of the constitution, hello, Mr. Talani. Hello, Mr. Talani. We've lost Mr. Talani. It appears we've lost Mr. Talani. Mr. Zalana, are you there? Yes. My, my apologies, sir. I think we lost you there. You were saying that in terms of the constitution, the timeline for the announcement of the date of the election works how? Yeah, in terms of the constitution, the elections have got to take place within 90 days after the date of the last elections. The last elections were on the 8th of May, so it means uh, from the 8th of May uh, to the 4th of August. That's the period within which the elections have got to take place. Now, before the elections take place, there are certain things that we've got to take into consideration in determining the date of the elections. Uh, firstly, you've got to make sure that um, the, the elections do not clash with any of important holidays, whether they be public holidays, religious holidays, Muslim, Jewish, uh, Christian holidays. Uh, you also have got to make sure that at least the election is on a Wednesday, because if it's on a Wednesday, uh, people are not going to be taking a day off and then making it, uh, you know, a long holiday and then go away, you know, instead of voting. Uh, so those are some of the factors that you take in consideration when you make recommendations to the president, because the president is the one who's going to make an announcement of the date of the elections. And then we would, as a commission, uh, when I was still part of the commission, uh, present these factors uh, to the president and then make sure that the elections happen within that. And then I'm saying, and I've suggested, that uh, given uh, the fact uh, that, uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, also uh, uh, some of the factors uh, relating to the legal framework not having been finalized, on Friday there were uh, public hearings on the electoral amendment bill. Mm. So even the framework within which the elections have got to take place has not been finalized. And therefore... I would want to see uh, IEC being given sufficient time to be able to prepare, to train its staff, to produce manuals, to make sure that the elections are run smoothly. And in order for, we, for one to be able to do that, I would put this at the last possible Wednesday 
uh, within which the elections can take place. And then it takes me uh, to the 31st uh, of uh, July. By the end of the day, it is the president who's got the right, right. to do so. Right. And then, you know, he will make a determination then. And then I know that there are people who said that it is cold during that period. But remember that in 2016, we had the elections on the 3rd of August. And then the 3rd of August and the 31st of August is just the difference of three days. Mr. Zalani, so much to talk to uh, talk about with regards to the elections. I'm hoping that you'll agree to talk to us as we march towards that elusive date at this stage uh, because so many questions around how, when, wherefore the elections work. So thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Terry Zalani, uh, Executive Chairman of the Institute of uh, Election Management Services in Africa.